Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, the soundtrack podcast. Today we're going to talk about the 1983 movie Valley Girl with Damon Gross. You may remember Damon from the first episode. If you skipped over the first episode, this is your first encounter with Damon. He is uh, my bandmate in Joy Luck Division. He's also the front man of the Tiki music band, The Poo Poo Platters. And he was also the front man of The Visitor's Queue, uh, who you can find on Spotify. He's also a soundtrack playlist extraordinaire. And Valley Girl is actually one of the playlists that uh, he curates on Spotify and Apple Music. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Damon. Welcome back. Yeah, uh, this this Valley Girl soundtrack, this has got to be my number one most popular playlist. So uh, when I heard you were starting this podcast, I knew uh, I knew it would be a perfect soundtrack to talk about. Yeah, and it's um, reading about the soundtrack... Um, it's one that's that's highly sought out of, but it was actually never released because they didn't have the budget for it. Yeah, I noticed that um, there was a there was a, uh, a collectible LP out there with a handful of songs from this movie. There, I guess, it made it into the hands of some people, but it was never officially released. Is that is that right? From what I read, they had to pull it because the soundtrack budget went basically haywire the budget for the entire movie was 350k and the way they wanted the soundtrack it was going to cost another like 250k so almost the same budget as the actual film jeez that's a lot of dough what do you think 350 grand is uh, adjusted for uh 2020 i don't know like (laughs) two million maybe sure like you know still a low budget film man so that would that would mean if you were making a movie today, it costs two million dollars, and then they're like, "Oh well, if you want any music for it, it's going to cost you a million and a half dollars." Right. Something like um, that. So I can understand why it was kind of shelved, but the movie ended up making seventeen million dollars. So basically, the movie made fifty times its budget, which is incredible. That's pretty good. And speaking of shelved, uh, I would like to segue into talking about Valley Girl. I'll call it Valley Girl 2020. There was a remake of the movie that came out this year. I think uh, it had been shelved since 2017. And in the midst of the uh, pandemic, uh, I think they secretly just decided to throw that out there onto streaming services. That's uh, that's there if you want to check that out. Yeah, I believe they probably threw it out there because the original 1983 film hit streaming services or hit digital platforms for the first time ever, and they probably thought it would be nice to piggyback off that to get suckers like you to watch it, Damon. Oh, yeah, I watched both just recently. I hadn't seen the first one in, I'd say, maybe 20 or 25 years almost. I had seen it 
quite a few times. I did have the option streaming that I could have purchased both as a two pack, but uh, I kind of had the feeling like maybe I like I was really eager to revisit uh, Valley Girl, uh, the original Valley Girl '83, but. I was like, I don't know about this. Um, so I, I went ahead and just rented them. I didn't want to. I was afraid like, of what might happen if if I had that. You know, when you make a purchase, I, everyone's must must have done this at some point now. I'll make a purchase on a streaming platform. Uh, in this case, mine's uh, um, iTunes or whatever it used to be iTunes. And then there'll be that movie there. Like, why did I? Why didn't I just rent that? Like, right. like I could have just rented it. I only watched it once, but then it's there forever, just sitting there taunting me. And I knew that if I went for the two pack, <laughs> Valley Girl twenty twenty was going to be the one, and it was. It was. It would have been. It. It was. I would not recommend that movie. Sorry to say. And that, like, I'd love to know how much they spent on the soundtrack for that Valley Girl twenty twenty. Um, as opposed to Valley Girl '83, they've there's mostly most of the songs on the soundtrack are re-recordings or covers, and I know that those it's typically less expensive to include a new recording or uh, uh, or cover uh, in a movie than it would be for the original track, right? And I think that that two. 250k then you say how much did uh what's that guy um silent bob kevin didn't you tell tell me he paid about 250k just for one song or maybe more than that for fluid mac yeah was was it was it 250 yeah i think he said it was that the magic number (laughs) okay well anyway so that guy's throwing down like 250 for one song one original song in the 2000s so you got to imagine like in this Valley Girl 2020, it's chock full of 1980s hits, but almost none of them are from by the original, the original artists. Yeah. Or from the original movie. Or yeah, actually uh, from the original movie. That's true. Um, I don't think a lot of them are intact. Anyway, well, you, you saw Valley Girl. Um, yes. Is music important to the plot? It is and it isn't at the same time. Um, I think music is a big part of Nicolas Cage's character. You know, he's he introduces Julie and her friend to this dingy club where the Plimsolls are playing. So it's important to him. Apparently people from the Valley don't go to concerts or they don't go to, you know, dingy clubs to watch concerts. So I guess in that way it's important. And then at the prom... I believe it's what Josie Cotton who's playing their prom at the end of the movie. Sorry for the spoiler alerts, but the movie's almost 40 years old. So, you know, yeah. Um, I think it's okay to, to spoil some plot points. Um, but I believe the music is important to the characters and, you know, it's a pretty progressive soundtrack as far as what is what's on there. I don't know if I would consider this like an indie film. I believe MGM released it, but you know, for a for a studio film, it seems like it's a lot of underground artists. I know that that modern English hit "Melt with You" is used a couple times in the film, but for the most part, I think it's just that and like Electric Avenue, which are like super 
popular songs. Everything else seems to be more on the underground. Like, like it's not like the 2020 version where it just seems to be this, you know, 80s hit compilation. So, uh, yeah, I do think that I Melt With You is retained in the remake. But as a cover. Yes, yes. And, uh, and uh, again, like, I, I can almost not help but uh, give the spoilers here. So, all right, if you haven't seen Valley Girl 83 or Valley Girl 2020, maybe you want to hit pause here and go watch them. I don't know. The two packs available on iTunes. Anyway, <laughs> but I'm going to, I got to use a spoiler here because this is, it, it, it's really odd. So I Melt With You, I know is, it's on the soundtrack, Valley Girl. It's, it's, it was a hit song for Modern English. In uh, the new one, there's a new plot wherein the uh, character, Randy, uh, played by Nicolas Cage in 1983, so uh, he has a band, and um, he ends up writing that song for Julie and um, Rodney on the Rock, who was a real person, who probably spun I Melt With You back in the early 80s on K-Rock. Maybe some people heard it there for the first time. <laughs> so anyway, um, Rod- Rodney on the Rock plays um, Randy's song, and um, it becomes a hit, and they run away together. Wait, so Valley Girl 2020 still takes place in like the early 80s. Now, here's the confusing part. <laughs> so Valley Girl 2020, I read about this movie before I saw it a little bit, and I had to see it. And, I, and I've, heard it, I've heard this device referred to as like the... Uh, the like what they do in the in the Princess Bride, uh, you might know if there's a term for that, Ryan. Uh, when they're like they're telling a story, but then the whole movie is the story. It's like sort of like bookended by like like it's like the whole movie's a flashback, right? Basically. So I don't know what that's called, but they do it in this movie, and so the movie starts in the present day. But the present day is really like 2016 because the movie was shelved. But anyway, there's cell phones, there's chokers, there's a club. I don't know. There's graffiti. Like they, 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 it's present day. And so the movie starts in present day. And Julie, the mom, Julie's now a mom. Julie was, was the teenager from, valley girl 83 (laughs) but she's not played by the original actress she's played by alicia silverstone and so if you're trying to do the math like alicia silverstone to be the parent of a teenager in 2017 who had gone who would have had um gone to high school in 1983 would have to be like in her early fifties. And so we know that Alicia Silverstone, I'm, I'm guessing she's maybe 40. This movie, I, it took me a while. I'm like, okay, wait, Alicia Silverstone's the mom. Is this still 1983? 
So the movie starts, it's like they, she's telling her daughter the story of how she met Randy, played by a, a nice young actor. I don't know who it is. I've never heard of him. Uh, <laughs> and he, and so she's telling her the story, but uh, I'm thinking like, okay, this can't take place in 1983 anymore. There's no way. I mean, Alicia Silverstone is not old enough to have been a teenager in 1983. There's, it's just not possible. So as a movie goes on, they, they start to give you clues like, oh yeah, this is definitely supposed to be the early 80s. They're not so subtle as like even Stranger Things to show you that it's the 80s. I mean, there's, there's clues everywhere. You know, they have a costume party and like people are dressed like um, Magnum P.I. and Michael Jackson. I mean, there's like, they're h- hitting you over the head. It's the early 1980s. Clueless, Alicia Silverstone, that's, that's an iconic movie. She will forever be known as that character as a teenager in 1995. So I know that it's impossible that she was a teenager in 1983. So like the suspension of disbelief is Alicia Silverstone is supposed to be the mom. I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, she's I'm guessing that's not the biggest. I'm guessing she's, that's not the biggest issue you have with this movie. <laughs> she's the, she's older now. She's mom. But this is like I'm this I'm like two minutes in this movie. I'm like, wait, what? What year is this? What's going on? And I and this is coming from you know I know the movie. So <laughs> we get in there, and um, I'm not sure how how soon you get there, but I mean they kind of take take the story. I you think it's going to be a pretty faithful remake of the original movie. Julie's the main character. She's got um, three friends. They're all, um, they all live in the San Fernando Valley. For listeners that aren't familiar with the valley or what a valley girl is, I guess it was a phenomenon in the early 1980s. Were you familiar with like the term valley girl? before um, seeing the movie or how familiar are with the idea of what a valley girl is? Yeah, I knew what the valley girl stereotype was growing up. You know, they had a a specific way they talked. They would, you know, dress super preppy. So I know what a valley girl referred to. I don't believe growing up, I realized that it was specifically about San Fernando Valley. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Sherman Oaks pops in. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of things are shot on location in, in the original movie. And so Valley Speak, the only time Frank Zappa ever charted with a song, it was the song Valley Girl, which I believe predates the movie. Correct. He tried um, to actually sue the movie for calling the movie Valley Girl. Oh yeah. Did he have a copyright on the term Valley Girl? I'm not sure if it was about copyright <laughs> or if he, if it was some sort of defamation that they were, you know, tricking people into watching this movie, thinking he had something to do with it. I, I, I don't know the um, the details of his legal action, but he definitely did not want his song to be associated with the movie. Uh, and I'm sure that it's it 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 couldn't help. You couldn't help but um, have them associated with each other. The song is called Valley Girl. The movie's called Valley Girl. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, I was, I wasn't, I'm, I'm not old enough to have been a teen at that time, but I was certainly aware 
of uh, Valley Speak. I mean, it kind of swept the nation, really. It seemed like uh, it's I'm really hesitating to not do like some like bad Valley girl speak right now. But I think that really like the best example, like the best mainstream example of like what Valley girl speak might be to me has been um, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. I mean, I'm from California and I've never really known anybody to really um, speak that way. But then again, I didn't grow up in the greater Los Angeles area. Right. So growing up outside of California in the Midwest, we basically would joke that all people from California talked like Valley girls, or at least all, all girls did. But we didn't know which what the valley was. We just said, valley girls are California girls. And they, you know, have mm-hmm. this very ditzy way about them. So that's why, you know, like Cher from Clueless pops up in my mind, even though I was in California when Clueless came out. Um, I just assumed, like, oh, that's like kind of, I know that she's a Beverly Hills girl. But I was like, oh, she's kind of a valley girl. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the... um upper middle class or affluent um, um, young person and the, the Valley speak, I suppose it was definitely used and exploited by Frank Zappa to, to um, whose daughter had been growing up in the area. I don't know if that, if that's really what like carried it out to um, the farthest reaches of the U S along with mall culture and everything else that uh, that I would associate with like what a valley girl means shopping at the mall <laughs> I guess I'm just it's like oh speaking there's like a lot of slang you know hanging out with your friends you speak in this particular way anyway it's really evident in the first one I think that the movie opens they're shopping at the mall. They sit down. There's a hot dog on a stick in the food court of the Sherman Oaks Galleria, which is like pure Southern California. I mean, hot dog on a stick is, you know, it, it started here and um, it's just perfect. It's just sitting there subtly in the background. And then the actors start talking and you're like, oh, okay, valley girl that's what this is so you're introduced to it and brought into it within the first couple of minutes of the movie right with the second movie think that there's a shopping montage i think that that's how it works as well but i didn't really think that they ever really went all in on the valley speak it's hard for me to think that they ever did it really at all they didn't use a lot of slang they didn't use a lot of the you know that 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 certain vocal inflection that you'd associate with it and by the time they get to the scene at the beach so there's a scene in both movies where the girls all go to the beach and they see the main love interest for the first time but they don't know it they kind of do that in both movies it's like in the first movie, the actress that plays Julie sees a young, strapping Nicolas Cage on the beach, shirtless. Right. <laughs> and in the, in the remake, 
they see they see the Randy of the remake as well, but not before they burst into girls just want to have fun. So they like, I don't know what it's called when you spontaneously break into song. I guess like that's something that you typically see in a musical, but throughout the movie, they break into song, but sometimes there's source music and then sometimes there's a band playing, but then sometimes they break into song. So there's like no like consistent way that like music is delivered in the remake. Whereas in a traditional film, you would have like source music or like, I don't know what they call it when music just plays over the scene. Like a montage. Well, yeah. And then they do have the, they do have like the montage, uh, the interlude where all of this cool, fun action stuff happens. And there's some really good ones in, um, in the original, wouldn't you say? Yeah. <laughs> What's really enjoyable about the, the montages in the original or just the scenery in the original is this is what LA looked like in the 80s. It was cool to see, like, you know, a lot of places that are still around. Like, there's Dupars. Maybe not that specific Dupars, but Dupars is still an institution in L.A. And to see a bunch of stuff on Hollywood Boulevard where you would have never imagined these things being able to, you know, afford real estate in, you know, the heart of Hollywood. Oh, yeah. There's a great scene where they're all driving down sunset or hollywood boulevard or what have you and you know they use that exact they use the footage from that scene in the remake to make it look like they're driving through hollywood in In 1983 they use the same footage that's weird yeah it was weird i think this podcast about music i'm like tearing into this uh this movie like it's like the first like three minutes of the movie that I talked about or something. We're doing a scene by scene analysis of <laughs> Valley Girl twenty twenty. Yes. <laughs> so in essence, like I mean, honestly, for me, I don't know how you feel. I don't know how you feel about it, but there's some songs better left in nineteen eighty three. Uh, what do you mean by that? I I mean I've heard I Melt with You on the radio, like probably my entire life. And it's one of these things, uh, it's one of these songs that like, I know, like, if you really want to tear it apart, I mean, it's, it, it has the sound of the early 80s, but something about it just is, I mean, it's just a, it's a, just a good classic pop song. I read a story that the director heard it on the radio. Director Martha Coolidge, she heard it on the radio and she had called the radio station to ask what song that was. And they didn't know what she was talking about. So she had to like sing the melody to the DJ. And then the DJ told her, you know, it's Melt With You by Modern English. And she just thought it needed to be in the movie. Like it perfectly encapsulated like the vibe of the film. Mm-hmm. That's why it shows up twice. That's why it shows up over this 
montage of Julie and Randy falling in love mm-hmm. and also at the end of the film, kind of playing the movie out as it heads into the credits. Sure. Yeah. I don't know where that, uh, like how, how high on the charts that one was, but it was destined for greatness just as uh, Nicolas Cage was destined for greatness. Can you divorce like Nicolas Cage as you know him and so many other um, film roles? In 2020 to watch Nicolas Cage in 1983 as a heartthrob, it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I, I, I mean, you could see, I mean, it, I mean, but he was so charming, really. It couldn't have been four years later. He was in Moonstruck. Obviously, we know that this movie launched Nicolas Cage's career. Yeah. I was kind of curious to see who else in the cast did anything substantial after this movie. Not Absolutely a lot of, no one. Not a no lot of recognizable faces. No, maybe, maybe not. But it it turns out that the girl who played Lauren, one of the friends of Julie, she actually has a pretty interesting career as a voice actress and as a singer. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth Daly or E.G. Daly. Ah, um, that's so what she, the E stands for. Yeah, it stands for Elizabeth. So she went on to be Pee-wee's girlfriend in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Tim Burton. And then she also became the voice of Tommy Pickles in Rugrats. Hmm. She was the voice of Babe Pig in the City in the second Babe movie. Or she was... No. She was Babe. (laughs) She she isn't Babe in Babe 1. She's Babe babe 2. He is in Babe and Babe, Pig in the City. Pig in the City, the best babe there is. I don't think I've seen either of them, so I'll take oh. your word for it. But she had actually a, a, a decent singing career and showed up on The Voice in 2013. Really? The Voice has been around that long? Yeah. Wait, is it still on? I don't 20, know. 2013 I'm, I'm... was the fifth season of The Voice. Oh, What? So I guess in the mid-80s, she actually had a major label deal with A&M Records, which mm-hmm. no longer exists. But she actually mm-hmm. had a Billboard Top 100 single. Did she? Yeah. Um, she, she did backup vocals for an album from Human League frontman Philip Oakley. He did an album with, with Giorgio Moroder. Cool. Oh. She has a song on the Breakfast Club soundtrack. No way. Yeah. Was this all as E.G. or as Elizabeth? That I don't know. I would assume as E.G. I'm just only assuming that she that her she's credited as Elizabeth Daly in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but I don't know. E.G. Daly. She has some songs in these Scarface movies. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Weird. Her song Shake It oh, Up I and see. I'm Hot Tonight were included to the soundtrack of Scarface and because of that, they show up in Grand Theft Auto 3. Oh, no way. I played that one. So I understand like there's some context with the film I'm probably not getting in 2020. That That is probably more par for the course of 1983. I just thought it was a movie that would went to like really silly extremes. Like there was a lot more uh, frontal nudity than I thought I was going to see. But then Fair also... Enough. Like, Fair enough. 
but then also you have i believe when julie and um her ex-boyfriend get back together like she's at she's at dupar's and she's drinking strawberry milk oh yeah i i saw that too there's like clearly like some strawberry milk on the table and it's like it's a movie where people are like having sex and doing drugs but also like she's so innocent that she's drinking strawberry milk well that makes me think like one of my favorite scenes of the movie is when they're all in the friend's bedroom and then like they're all talking and then they go in and like they try on the mom's lingerie it's not as dirty as it sounds Um, (laughs) but it's like this movie it's like almost like dare i say like an altman movie they're all in there they're like talking you can't really hear what everybody's saying like the chip bag is rustling you know like it's just like like it just seems like they really like let a camera roll and they're like okay just go right it felt like an authentic it was an authentic teen girl scene like what you would expect from like yeah. a teen girl sleepover. But then you have the party with like sushi catering. Yeah. Like, is that like the opulence of middle-class Encino or Sherman Oaks or something that I just don't get? Yeah. I was like, who in high school is like, let's have a party. Uh, let's get sushi. Now I think that it's the parents are hosting the party for them. And I say this because I really didn't notice it or I didn't, I was looking for it because when I did these, when I watched these movies, I watched 2020 first. And then I, then as a palate cleanser, I watched the original. And so EG daily as we'll call her um, is throwing a party. She makes a brief cameo. She's throwing the costume party. And in the first one, it's not a costume party, but Randy, Nicholas Cage says, what, if I would have known this was a costume party, I would have, you know, whatever. Like, he's making fun of, like, the preppiness of the scene, you know? So, they literally made it a costume party for the remake. But, but um, like, shows the 80s. Because they needed to show it was the 80s. But it's like the parents in the remake are, it's obvious that the parents are, like they, they do like a smash cut or something where it's like the dad uh, is the parent, like it's E.G. Daly and then some dude. And it's like, they're like terrible parents that are throwing like a big pool party with a bunch of booze. But I, I, I saw something and I don't know, I can't quote it, but that the director of Valley Girl I had a connection with Francis Ford Coppola in the mid seventies. Yeah. She worked at Zotrope studio. Okay. So like as a film that like uses music to drive the plot. I mean, do you think it does a good job? I do. And I think one of the reasons Nicolas Cage is so compelling in this film is because they tie him to like this, underground music scene now in the underground music scene here it's like mostly it's the plim souls it's mostly the plim souls but it's kind of to show the differences between their two worlds i think the plim souls kind of represent basically like non-radio pop yeah non-radio music it's the underground yeah 
Yeah, he calls what they listen to in the Valley. They, he calls it, I think, techno rock. And so he's listening to Plim Souls. The, aside from I Melt With You, the uh, kind of like the other theme of the movie, it's uh, a million miles away is what the Plim Souls are singing. Like, right. which is like, I think the song that's playing when he and Julie first go to the club. Yes. And then also after they break up, he stumbles drunkenly back into the club. And I, is it before he makes out with his ex-girlfriend or after? But basically it kind of bookends <laughs> the beginning and the end of Julie. Yeah. And so he's, and you, and well, I, I think you're saying something about Nicolas Cage and the music, but you see, I mean, he was a good actor even then. I mean, you, he just makes a face like, or like, I, I think that Tyra Banks calls it, he's smizing, you know, he's like, he just does this thing with his eyes. And then when he hears the music and he's like, oh yeah, you know, like everything ties together. I mean, it's a little um, on the nose, like a million miles away, but I mean, it's effective. Yeah. And I think it's a testament to his acting ability. Like, it seems like he authentically like likes the, the, the Plim Souls. Yeah, now they're all in the valley and they're listening to like Josie Cotton, which I don't know what her career looked like. And she, she was playing this music. It's like Phil Spector inspired, like even like maybe Beach Boys inspired. Like it's very retro, like 50s, 60s music for the early 1980s. And then they're also like dancing to like a, an LA band called um, the Sparks who are, I think like a regional favorite. Had you heard of the Sparks before uh, Valley Girl? I, I think I, <laughs> I think I am aware of them in a very uncool way. Um, I know of Sparks because they did a collaboration album with Franz Ferdinand a few years ago. Oh Yeah. I I'm, I am aware of that. That's right. And, you know, so listening to Sparks on the soundtrack playlist, I was like, I can understand why Franz Ferdinand would want to collaborate with them. Like, I, I see a lot, of, a lot of Sparks influence in the Franz Ferdinand sound. Not that I'm a huge Franz Ferdinand san, uh, fan. I'm not a huge sure. Franz Ferdinand fan, but, you know, I can understand why that, that pairing made sense. Anyway... Uh, in the Valley Girl 2020, they, I felt they were really lazy with the with the costuming. Honestly, <laughs> it sounds it sounds like they were really lazy in a lot of ways. Yeah, it didn't look like I felt like oh, this is new stuff that they're hoping like will read old. You know, I'm going to bring up Stranger Things again. Like, there's a Stranger Things way of doing it where it's like. Um, 80s. Hey, I've got my, I've got my, uh, <laughs> you know, Teddy I've got my, yeah. Oh, let me, I'm going to carry my Teddy Ruxpin while I'm drinking a Coke, uh, a new Coke. A doll of the, the, the Noid. I've got, yeah, I've got a Noid t shirt on and I've got the new Coke and I've got holding my Teddy Ruxpin and in, and I put a, um, I put the soundtrack to Back to the Future in the Teddy Ruxpin. I use it as Walkman, and I use it like real Sony Walkman headphones. Anyway, so that's like the Stranger Things way of doing it. It's like that that overload of like um, 1980s signifiers 
like ready player one style. And then like this, I mean, they, they, they did it in the, the laziest way. So they had the costume party to say, Hey, this is the eighties. Let's check out these costumes. We've got like a, like I mentioned, like for whatever reason, like the obvious Magnum PI and the, on the Michael Jackson stick out. And so, but then after that, uh, it, it, I, I felt like they were really confused. It was really difficult to like make it visually like seem like the eighties. But um, that's where the soundtrack comes in. So soundtrack for Valley Girl 2020 is all like, they do keep the Plimsolls million miles away. They keep, um, I melt with you, of course, they use it to, to eat. Uh, they rewrite history and say that the person Randy wrote, I melt with you. They refer specifically to K rock and they have an actor. It might even be like the guy, one of the guys from the state playing Rodney on the rock, like Rodney on the rocks here. He's going to play some records for us. And which is very strange because it's just like all this layer of like, okay, there's an actor playing a real guy. And then an actor who's playing a guy from an in this remake of a movie as it's being bookended by your a story, fake wrote, I melt with you after it already existed. It's just like, what's going on? It just doesn't make any sense to me. So that was my experience with that movie, but they really keep it tight with the uh, expected 1980s songs. They got We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's, Bad Reputation by Joan Jett, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which, which they do break out into song at the beach, um, Kids in America by Kim Wilde. When Randy crashes the costume party, he starts singing You Might Think by the Cars. Oh, no, wait. Or maybe he sings Magic by the Cars. At some point, he sings two Cars songs. But also, he is in a band. And so then he, instead of the Plimsolls or something else being at the club, it's Randy's band. Where he writes, I melt with you. Where he writes, I melt with you. And at some point, I think... They, they do a punk rock version of a Madonna song. And when they do these covers, they all sound like 90s pop punk. So it's very confused. Um, Tainted Love's on the soundtrack. I mean, Space Age Love Song, Flock of Seagulls. I mean, this is just your classic Take On Me, um, The Safety Dance. I mean, if you name like an 80s pop hit. I mean, it's on the soundtrack in some form or another. It's just everything you'd know. So we're talking about how the Plimsolls are in the first one and they're like, you know, Randy and Julie have this connection. The first time they really hang out together at the club, the Plimsolls are playing a million miles away. So they just have a different band for no reason. And it, maybe it's an all-girl band playing um, X-Ray Specs. And speaking of girls, Mae Whitman kind of takes the role, like the role of Randy's friend, um, Nicholas Cage's friend. What's his name? I think it's Fred. Okay, Fred. Now, I didn't catch the name of the character in this one, but 
the role of Fred is split between two people. There's a dude who is way super punk rock. And I think it might be the lobby boy from Grand Grand Budapest. Budapest. Yeah, his brother. I think it's his brother. And then um, (laughs) Mae Whitman, um, as we all know and love from Arrested Development. And And Scott um, Pilgrim. One of my favorite movies to with music for sure and so fred the fred duties are split between these two people she's the bass player in the band Let, let's get back to the soundtrack because i don't want to hear about this movie anymore okay um, okay man so 2020 has like this cornucopia of just 80s pop songs like really obvious 80s pop songs and I, I I really hate it when movies do this where they have to just hit you over the head with popular songs of the era of that era um, ready player one is another one of those movies that you mentioned where I feel like oh yeah you know even though I enjoyed the movie I felt like they did that a lot in Captain Marvel you took the words right out of my mouth Ryan <laughs> same you know, it's like, oh, I crash landed in front of a blockbuster video, and then, oh. and then, um, I remember, Jeez. I remember we were in the car once, and I think I had seen the movie, and you had you hadn't seen it yet, and I was like, yeah, the oh, I like yeah. the movie, but the music is a little on the nose, you know, it's, it's just basically hitting you over the head with the fact that it's from that they're in the '90s, and you said, why did they play like garbage or something? And I said, yes, they did. <laughs> and i feel like it's the same it's that same thing where it's just like what is like the obvious you know it's it's a movie about the 90s and she's a female superhero so she's tough so it's got to be rock so what can we think of and it's like you know garbage and hole and elastica yeah and you know the only uh, now it was a surprise to hear uh nirvana on that soundtrack so my theory is because Elastica and Garbage and Hole are all on the same label with Nirvana that they basically just like, like if you want this Nirvana song, like you just got to pay for like this whole package of songs. Butch Big must have made a pretty penny off of <laughs> off of uh, Captain Marvel if he had any if he had anything to do with it. Right, because he's he's also in Garbage. But Geffen, you know, DGC though, you're right. I didn't even think of that. I mean, that's what's kind of refreshing about the 1983 version. Maybe it was because of the budget constraints, but they didn't just throw a bunch of pop songs at you. Yeah, it's it's odd. It's it's better off for it. But it has meant that even though they haven't done that, I've heard conflicting reports that the movie's intact, depending on how you see it. I think when they broadcast it on television... They're still, they have to block out some of the songs. A lot of the music in the movie is is unavailable for streaming as well. And so, but I agree. I like to be surprised and not, and not hear the same thing used in the same way. Yeah, and even if they had budget constraints with the 1983 version people sought out that soundtrack and that's why they came up with those reissues in the mid nineties. Yes, sir. Like that, that music really touched people where, Mm -hmm. 
they want they wanted that soundtrack and that's why they're downloading your your playlists off of apple music and spotify yeah i've got this idea that every weekend like i figure that the first time i saw this movie there's only two ways it could have seen it it was either on vhs recommended from a friend or edited for content on tbs and so i just have this fantasy like i know it's like not 1993 anymore but i feel like it's like oh like be, my my playlist i get these alerts like every weekend valley girl downloaded by so-and-so or saved by so-and-so and i just think like oh it must be on tbs some of the josie cotton songs and i mean who seems to have just faded into obscurity um bonnie hayes which i don't know I'm not familiar with the work of Bonnie Hayes outside this movie, but these are really like interesting, good songs. And like, I feel like they fit the tone of the movie. Like there it's women singing there, there there's like, just like this element of just like carefree California, but it's not, there's something a little more interesting about it than like you might've, found with like Debbie Gibson or something like I want to show that it's like not that kind of like 80s pop it's like they're just like this something different to it you know there's something like something kitschy about it there's some some sort of like it's just really odd interesting music and I wish that more people could hear it well, that was a very thorough breakdown of, <laughs> of two Valley Girl movies. <laughs> thank you, Damon, for being the guest this week. Oh, I, thanks. Thank you, Ryan. My pleasure. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to say, um, if I didn't before, um, that... Well, if you guys are interested in music Damon makes, you can still check out the visitors queue on on Spotify. Uh, you can check out Joy Luck Division. We'll have music up at some point. But you can also check out um, a movie soundtrack playlist that Damon makes on Apple Music or on Spotify. And he also makes playlists for the podcast episodes, even the ones that he's not on featuring music or bands that we talk about on um, each episode. So check those out on the soundtrackyourlife.net webpage. But uh, thanks for coming by, Damon. We'll do this again soon. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, soundtrackyourlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.